What is my calling? That wouldn't be the worst answer that one could give if playing Jeopardy and having chosen vocation for 500. Vocation, quite simply, is my calling. But sometimes we make it more complicated than that. You hear people talk about discovering their calling or, or even feeling a calling. And, and all of those things may have a place, but they are uncertain. And our calling, our vocation, is actually much simpler than that. Our calling is, is the place that God has put us in life. A student can be my calling. Being single can be my calling. An employee, a church member, a spouse, a sibling, a community volunteer, a coach, the list goes on and on and on. And some of these, all of these, some combination of these and so many other things all work together to be who I am. And they provide for me my calling that God has given to me to carry out faithfully in service to others and service to him. So over the course of this series, uh, our, our vocation, summer vocation, we're going to look at and be guided by identifying what our vocation is and how to carry that vocation, our calling, out. And today, of course, we take a special opportunity to focus on and reflect on a calling that has blessed or impacted all of us in one way or another, that calling of motherhood. And we are grateful for God giving us dedicated mothers. Hannah is not a bad example of one such dedicated mother. Sadly, one of the reasons that she looks so good in the account from this first chapter in Samuel is because she stands in such stark contrast to, to the other men, the other individuals in the account. Even her own husband, Elkanah, as well-intentioned as he may have been, didn't do himself any favors in how he tried to console Hannah, who was unable to conceive a child. And as she was lamenting and as she was grieving and sad about that process, his, again, maybe well-intentioned attempt at consoling her rather ended up dismissing her, saying to her, don't I matter more to you than, than ten sons? You have me. I'm your husband. It shouldn't really matter that you, you can't have children. Husbands, that is a good example of how not to console or support your wife in such a situation. The other individual, Eli, a priest himself, not an exemplary record of how to manage or care for or raise your children. His sons were, were not his, his greatest joy or pride of all that he had accomplished in his life. And even Eli, a priest, a man of God, assumed the worst when he saw Hannah pouring out her soul in prayer to the Lord for the gift of a son. He assumed that she had been drinking too much. So, in contrast to Elkanah, her, her husband, and Eli, two individuals in this account that didn't end up looking so good, Hannah looks rather godly. And indeed, she, she was and is as an example for us to follow of being a mother. When we look at Hannah, what do we come to appreciate about her? She stands out. She's, she's dedicated dedicated to the Lord. 
Dedicated in a way that isn't just a means to an end. She, she doesn't just foster her relationship with Lord in, in hopes of getting something, a son, from him in return. Rather, that promise, that commitment and dedication on her part to give her son to the Lord in full-time service to him is a reflection of her faith and her strong relationship with the Lord. And it was that strong relationship, that faith, that allowed her, enabled her, to dedicate Samuel to his service. That kind of dedication to the Lord in general is, is so rare, let alone from a mother like Hannah in her situation, who could have had every reason to turn around and blame or be angry at God, but quite the opposite. Moreover, that role of a mother is a unique one because Satan has a special weapon in his arsenal. He is so effective at turning this blessing from God of children into something that he pits against God. And then it becomes an idol instead of the blessing if we're not careful. So this very thing that is a gift from God, Satan turns around and wants, wants us to then place over God in our appreciation of that blessing. And it happens. Well, we see it out in the world, but it's not just the world that it, that it happens. We, we recognize that if we're not careful to guard our hearts, how easily children can become our first love, and, and especially for mothers who have that special, unique bond with their children, that over time, that very gift of God can replace God himself as our first love. Now, we wouldn't admit it, we wouldn't acknowledge it, but when you think about what an idol is, that fits the criteria perfectly, doesn't it? Because we're not going to, to run out and, and, and just divulge all of our idols. Oftentimes, we struggle to even identify them or be aware of what those idols are because we, we want to hide them, we want to keep them, and we want to defend them so that we can love these things more and better than the Lord. And that's such a, a dangerous thing. How does, how does it happen? It happens as we allow intentionally or unintentionally our child's life to crowd out God in ours. So the child's sports and social schedule pushes aside the Savior and, and my spiritual growth. More concerned about friends and finances and future than about the faith of a child. And a mother finds herself worrying more about her child's temporal life than she does praying for that child's eternal life. And all of these can be a, a very real danger and a real serious concern. In fact, it's, it's so serious, so dangerous, that even God demonstrated the possibility of that in the account of Abraham. Remember that Abraham had to wait 25 years for God to carry out his blessing of, of giving him a, a son through his wife, Sarah. God was well aware of how easily children can replace him in our hearts. And that was the reason for God's gut-wrenching command to Abraham to then take that son, Isaac, and slay him and kill him and sacrifice his son, Isaac. It wasn't because God is twisted and morbid, but God knows the danger of anything else replacing him in our hearts and, and ultimately then jeopardizing, forfeiting the salvation that the Lord won for us and promised to us. 
So he made this request of Abraham for Abraham's benefit so that Abraham would be aware of how easily a child, that blessing from God, could replace God in his heart. And God used that to show Abraham that danger, to give him that caution, but also to restore and reassure him that he was still first in Abraham's heart. How did Hannah deal with that kind of challenge of idolatry? Well, she committed to giving her son away. That was going to ensure that he wouldn't take first place in her heart by her commitment, her dedication, her promise to God to give her son away. Now, that might seem like a, a big issue, and it is, don't get me wrong, but Hannah understood something that is true about that child Samuel that God had blessed her with, and every other child as well, and every other gift as well, and every other possession or thing that we own, that all of it belongs to God. And everything that we have, all that we are, really is on loan to us from God. He gives it to us for a time to manage it faithfully and well. Again, in service to others and, and to glorify God, to love him in the way that we care for these things. So she saw Samuel as that very thing, a, a possession of God's that had been entrusted to her for a time. And that freed her then to to give her child back to the Lord in service to him. Mothers today, parents today, are tasked with that difficult decision. Maybe they recognize in their sons and, and daughters gifts for ministry to commit and dedicate their lives in, in service as pastors, as teachers, as staff ministers, or simply the importance of continuing to, to receive an education in Christ, rooted in Christ. And so they make a difficult decision. Maybe, maybe it's as simple as sending a child an hour away to California Lutheran High School to continue that education in Christ. Or even further away in one of our schools that train future pastors, teachers, and staff ministers in Michigan at Michigan Lutheran Seminary or in, in Watertown, Wisconsin at Luther Preparatory School. And then after that, to send them to Martin Luther College in New Orleans, Minnesota. These schools that all work together to train the next generation in dedication in lives devoted to serving God and his people in the public ministry. That is no small sacrifice to give back to the Lord a child in that capacity. And Hannah would have agreed. No small sacrifice indeed. But idolatry isn't the only struggle, the only danger that that mothers have to deal with. There is another one, and it's actually probably one that is not even as much on the radar of, of other people that mothers struggle with. Guilt. The guilt of being a mother and, and feeling like you're, you're never doing a good enough job. Always, in, in one setting, whether it's a grocery store or the park with your child and looking at other mothers and, and always being able to identify somebody else who seems to be who, who seems to be carrying out motherhood far more efficiently and effectively than, than she is, who ought to be teaching a Mothering 101 college course somewhere because they seem to just know the ins and outs and have all the answers and they never mess up as, as mothers. But even then, when mothers do feel confident in, in how they're carrying out those roles, then a, a, a well-intentioned, maybe, mother-in-law or mother gives a helpful suggestion about how to have done something differently that only ends up heaping on more guilt. Or she's carrying out everything well and feels then suddenly the guilt of things being out of whack, out of balance, that she's neglecting her, 
her husband or that she should be getting a job or contributing to the household. The list goes on and on and, and guilt just heaps on that mother. And so it isn't the stroller, it isn't the backpack, it isn't the diaper bag that is the heaviest burden that she carries. It is the burden of guilt that so many mothers carry around with them. So what is the solution then to that, that danger of idolatry or the dread of guilt? The solution is the same. The solution is found on this Mother's Day and really throughout this series, this is the basis, the focus of, of our vocation. But for mothers, to go back to understanding identity. And it's difficult because uh, a mom is the, the one responsible for so many of the day-to-day -day activities in a child's life. She is the, the chauffeur. She is the one who puts the Band-Aid on the scrape. She grabs the snack. She packs the suitcases. She makes sure the laundry is clean and folded. She feeds the children. Generally speaking, that's the, the mother who cares for her children in that way. And so that becomes her identity. That's who she is. She's a mom. But it's essential to dealing with, that, again, that danger of idolatry and the dread of guilt to understanding that long before she was a mom, long before you were a mother, you were something else, a daughter. And I'm not talking about a daughter to your father and your mother. I'm talking about, rather, that identity of being a daughter of the Lord, who long before you ever even first thought up of a name for your child, the Lord knew your name from eternity. Long before you ever knew the joy of a nursing child being held in your arms, the Lord held you in his heart. He knew you. He chose you from eternity. You belong to him. So long before you were ever a mother, you're a daughter. You are a child of God. You are children of the Heavenly Father. You belong to him. That's your identity. It's who you are. Isaiah chapter 43 reminds us of that in the first verse. But now this is what the Lord says. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Before you are a mother, you are the Lord's. And the Lord went to great lengths to solidify that relationship, didn't he? Taking on human flesh, Jesus himself being born of a woman to redeem women, and yes, mothers included, from the curse of the law. That Jesus came into this world and did everything that, that your children and my children and, and we ourselves have failed at honoring our father and mother perfectly. Jesus was never once disobedient, never disrespected, never dishonored his parents. He kept the fourth commandment perfectly in our place. And not only that, he kept the first commandment, never guilty of idolatry, allowing anything in his heart to be a greater love than the love that he had for his father. And in the greatest act of sacrifice that anybody could ever, ever enact or commit, Jesus gave his life to wash away the sins of every failed and, and flawed mother and everybody else on the planet as well. 
So because of the work that Jesus did in your place, his perfection and his holiness, and also because he paid for all of our shortcomings and our sin and our disgrace against God, when the Lord looks at you, he does not see a failed or flawed mother. He sees a perfect, holy daughter. And oh, how he cares for his daughters. Is there a better example of that than the care that Jesus expressed to his own mother as he was hanging on the cross? And, and we can't begin to fathom or even comprehend the excruciating pain, the unbearable suffering that he was enduring. And yet, through that, his focus was on his mother. So devoted, so dedicated to his own mother was Jesus that he wanted to make sure at his moment of, of need and pain and suffering, his moment of abandonment, that his own mother would not be abandoned but would be cared for. Physically, yes, but even by the very act of what he was doing at that moment, spiritually caring for her and for her eternity to win for her a place in heaven, to win for you a place in heaven. So when we see ourselves first and foremost when it comes to our calling that our identity is wrapped up in, in who the Lord sees us and how he calls us perfect and holy and his sons and his daughters, then we are free to carry out all the rest of these roles in our vocation with complete confidence using all of the gifts and resources that God has given to us. And that includes you, Mom. That means that you can focus the right priorities on treating and training your children. So your children, they don't need to, to have all of the, the greatest birthday parties planned, unforgettable vacations and playdates. They need Jesus. They don't need you to constantly entertain them so that they're never bored. They need Jesus. They don't need you to have their future planned out and their college and their university and have all of the best opportunities in sports and extracurriculars. They need Jesus. And you can give that to them in a way that, that is unique to you as a mother to pass on the joy of Jesus, which is the best thing that you can give your child. The greatest thing that you can do for your child is point them to Jesus again and again and again so that in your child, your child is, has instilled in them a love for Jesus that even surpasses their love for you, their own mother. And when you do that, everybody wins because your children will ultimately love you even more for showing them again and again the love of Jesus. And they'll see how much in you God demonstrated just a, a measure of his dedication. When they want to recognize and know the love of a dedicated and gracious God, they'll have a wonderfully beautiful example of it in their dedicated mother, who throughout her life loved and cared for her child enough to continue to give her the greatest gift that could be given, the gift of Jesus. God bless you mothers, as you first and foremost Wrap up your identity in Jesus and his forgiveness, being a daughter that he has made you to be. And then pass that joy of Jesus on to your children as well. Happy Mother's Day. Amen.